What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Colin and Samir Show. And I just want to say for everyone who listened to our last episode of Creator Support, you were treated to a very special audio surprise from our editor, Jesse. Let's play it again. Hello, this is Colin, Creator Support. Hey, this is Samir. Welcome to Creator Support. Samir and I had no idea. No idea. That that was going to be in the episode. Jesse just made it and put it in. We heard it just when all of you heard it. Yeah. So props to Jesse and welcome to this episode of Creator Support. So on this episode of Creator Support, we're going to be talking about why you maybe shouldn't hire a CEO as a creator, how to come back on YouTube after a long pause, and the truth about our latest sponsorship. The truth. The truth. All right, here we go. Let's get into it. Hey, Colin. Hey, Samir. I'd like to introduce you to someone brand new. Okay. Vlogger Samir. Nice to meet me. Oh. How about that? Yeah. A vlog. Yeah, a vlog. You didn't believe me. From the guys that brought you Colin and Samir. Now Samir and Colin Here's Vlogs. Samir and Colin Vlogs. So if you guys are unfamiliar, I picked up a camera when we went to VidSummit. I just decided I wanted to vlog. I, I mentioned on the podcast last week, a couple of people posted about it, which was awesome, that I miss the vlogging format of YouTube. And I think obviously with Casey Neistat coming back and then, you know, vloggers like Ashley Alexander, or your mom, Ashley, who we're going to go interview next week in New York. I just, I love the vlogging format. And I'm noticing that just with the experiences we're having, I've just wanted to show them to people and also have a record for myself of what this time feels like. Yeah. Because it's such a unique time for us. We're doing things that are a little bit more interesting now. Mm -hmm. So obviously, Vid Summit, Mm -hmm. you were there, you vlogged the whole thing, two days worth, Mm -hmm. and we put up an episode on the Samir and Colin channel. And I just want to say it's a two out of 10 Samir, <laughs> Listen, on the YouTube ranking scale. I, okay, it's got Colin, stop it. 7.5% click-through stop rate. It. It's got, stop it. Stop it. That's not what this is about. It's got uh, it no. nine and a half thousand no, views. No, no, no. With stop only 22,000 subscribers. It. We've gained 300 subscribers in the last- Please stop it. Because I don't want to know any of it. I, I am not logged into the Samir and Colin channel. I'm here to just right. express. I'm just riding high I'm, off the data. I'm not getting caught up in the data of the Samir and Colin channel. Not at all. Vlogging for me is a passion project. I'm absolutely going to vlog in New York. So for all of you guys, we are going to New York this week. We're going to go do an interview with your mom, Ashley, from formerly your mom's house. Uh, That has been a really interesting conversation. Uh, This content house that has broken up, um, a lot of public stuff that's gone out on YouTube. Very interested to have that conversation with Ashley And we're going to go to Dylan LeMay's ice cream shop. So YouTube and TikTok creator who built an audience based on making ice cream, opened an ice cream shop. Colin and I invested in that. We're going to go pop by there. And then we're hosting a morning show for YouTube with Katie Couric. That's pretty wild. And then we're also hosting an evening event with special musical guests that you can only see in our vlog. I just want to say hosting a morning show alongside Katie Couric is like me going to play pickup basketball with LeBron James. That's essentially yeah, what that is. Totally. That's the I mean, be- she yeah, is the LeBron James of That's right. hosting morning shows. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So on this episode of Creator Support, we are going to get into um, some very interesting questions that we've seen both from the subreddit as well as from our Creator Support form that comes through our newsletter, The Published Press. Yeah. Let's not forget about where Creator Support came from. Yeah, that's right. It came from There's The a Published form. Press. I also want to say we're exploring a website for Creator Support. Okay like its own kind of website. So if you make websites, feel free to hit us up because I'd like to talk to some website people. I wish there was a more exciting word than website. A web page? Yeah. What about a web page? Oh. 
All right, let's get into the first question. This comes from Aggressive Elk on our subreddit. What do you do when you're a terrible executive, but a great creator? When it comes to running a YouTube channel, there's a lot of decisions to make about running your own business. I'm terrible at both, but very (laughs) good at writing and good on camera. I hope this makes me grow to the point where I can bring on a chief executive officer part-time at first and become the chief content officer while maintaining the majority control of my channel. I also plan to hire some people to do specific tasks or contract uh, the work out. I'm a strong believer in teamwork and I know that being on the right team will make or break your success. It's clear that I have large ambitions for my channel. Does anyone else have experience with this? Thanks. I mean, it sounds like you've laid some of the groundwork there of what's hopefully going to happen by even just bringing up a chief executive officer, there will probably be someone that you can find that is interested and capable of handling that side of the business. It sounds like you may not be there yet, which makes me think, you know, you could always hire people to just fulfill some of the roles until you get to a level where you're hiring someone who has like a lot of experience. But I also think if you're really good at writing and you're good on camera, maybe there's the opportunity to find roles where you're just talented for a little bit of time, right? I would say if you consider yourself not very good at business, I don't think you should hire a CEO because the CEO works for you. No matter what, if you hire a CEO, they're under your payroll. Mm -hmm. Let's say they want to raise. Who are they coming to? You. If you feel like you're not good at business, my suggestion would be to find a manager or an agent and be okay with being a creator that's a creator. Artists have existed for years being terrible at business and creating really good art, but then finding agents and managers to support them. Yeah, that's true. You do not have to hire someone in house. You do not need to hire someone in house because hiring and managing is a skill set of someone who wants to do that, right? Team management, that responsibility is significant. I just want, every time you think about hiring, just imagine that person walking up to you and saying, I'd like a raise. If you're like, yeah, that's the type of conversation I want to have, then you can move forward with hiring. If that's not the conversation you want to have, then I wouldn't even hire. Or even every morning coming up to you and saying, what should I do today? Yeah. Imagine what that's actually like. Because no matter what, even if you hire a CEO, they work for you. They are your employee. So uh, my suggestion is if you really don't feel like you're good at business, do not hire anyone. Hire a manager, maybe the manager like Reed when he was on our show, he talked about how his perspective is the manager should help you hire. And there's a lot of situations where you can either A, have a manager that helps you hire or B, you're going to have to spend more money, but you might contract some of the editing work out to someone who's not in your office, you know, maybe an agency and really find people who have their own management structures that you can plug into. First and foremost, though, if you really feel like you're good at writing, feel like you're good on camera, feel like you're good at making content, focus on making really good content, connecting with an audience, and then most likely opportunities will come. But I want to just open that conversation up. I feel like, you know, being a creator is synonymous with being an entrepreneur because you're running your own business, but being a really smart entrepreneur is understanding your strengths and weaknesses. And if building a team and hiring is not one of your strengths, don't do it. You don't have to do it. Not everyone has to have a 120 person team you know, and build this massive media company. You can absolutely just be an artist. All right, next question, again, from the subreddit. This one comes from Alex the Grape. He brings up the sponsorship from our Rent and Link studio tour video. This is an interesting question. It says, Samir kept saying things like, a portion of this video is sponsored by Artlist. 
And thanks Artlist for sponsoring that portion of the video. Mm-hmm. What does that even mean? Maybe yeah. they didn't have enough money to sponsor the whole video. Even then, they're still mentioned, so they're getting the same exposure. Can anyone explain this? Yeah. I mean, so first of all, in terms of the concept of not having enough money to sponsor the whole video, that's not the context of this. They actually, you know, are a great sponsor and I really enjoyed working with Artlist. But, you know, that that actually came through um Google's agency called Brand Connect, which is a way that a lot of creators get brand deals. And no matter what, when you're working with a brand, there's a lot of guidelines around the language you need to use to disclose the sponsorship. This specific sponsorship, you know, what was really important was that if we were going to do this, it was called a bracketed sponsorship, which is which really means like a portion of the video is sponsored, not the entire Um, video. This comes down to liability and risk for a sponsor. So if the sponsor is only sponsoring one portion of the video, everything else in the video, they're less responsible for. If they sponsor the video and it feels like they're sponsoring the entire video, or if they do sponsor the entire video, they take on risk for everything you do in that video. So let's say like, for example, we went and you know, went to Retinlink Studio and someone in their office wasn't happy with the way they were portrayed. If Artlist is sponsoring that whole video, you know, they can come and that has to do with with Artlist as a whole sponsoring our content and being really integrated into that video. But with Artlist only sponsoring a portion, that's the portion that they're involved in, not the remainder of the video. The rest is Colin and Samir content, Colin and Samir editorial content. So that's why in that video, you'll see that Batman is blurred out. Mm-hmm any type of celebrity or or like public facing brand that may have been in the video is blurred out. Well, that kind of goes against what I just said, but but that's because in those parts of the video, that's our editorial content. We're being safe there, you know, just in working with them. Yeah. Uh, across the board because they, you know, that's that's the brand, that's what they want it to be, but again, the reason why it's so prescriptive of like this portion is because that's the part that they're involved in. The rest is Colin and Smear editorial content. So that's how it, it, it differs. You know, if a brand is integrating into a whole video, then there's just more connection to the rest of the content. Hmm. But when you're working with big agencies, you want to be safer. You want to make sure that at no point in time, you know, with the Batman logo, like at no point in time, do we want a situation where the owners of that IP can come after us and say, you can't, you don't have the rights to include that. It's a really interesting thing actually to talk about because the world of YouTube is a lot of like the wild, wild west. Yeah. And the reality is YouTube is not liable for what you upload. You're liable for whatever you upload, whether that's music, imagery, and that's a reality that there are some creators who get sued for certain things and Mm -hmm. don't really think about that. We got sued. We got sued. We got sued for music that we used years ago. Yeah, we got sued because um, Colin made a series. Oh, this was our first conversation ever. Actually, was about music. Yeah, uh, was was me and my brother, who's uh, it was in law school at the time. I wanted to put some of Colin's videos, uh, the series he was creating, on my YouTube channel at the time, which was called the Lacrosse Network. And Colin was using popular music, like indie pop music. And I came back to him very casually, just saying, like, "Hey, man." Uh, totally down to, to do this, but I just need you to change all the music to royalty free music. As if it was no big deal. Right. I'd already edited the whole thing. Right. To these great songs. <laughs> yeah. I'm not changing. I, yeah, I was like, no, that's cool. I'm not going to change the music, but you know, let's go on our separate ways and yeah. maybe we'll work together on something else in the future. Nice to meet you. Yeah. My brother sat me down and I remember he said like his job as just an advisor to me was to tell me what the risks were. 
And my job was to evaluate if I wanted to take on that risk or not. And I chose to take on the risk. And years and years and years passed on before the hammer came down from the record label saying, hey, you used all this music in one of your videos. We did not give you the rights to do that. Here's a letter. Yeah. So that's, that's a reality, right? Like that, that, that can happen. It's unlikely on YouTube, especially now with how music monetization works, um, how you can give a share back to the, the record labels. And now with YouTube launching creator music, where you can actually just pay for a license for some of this popular music, it's going to change dramatically. But yeah, you're, you're constantly evaluating your own risk on YouTube. And that's why it's really important to get like quality advisors around you, whether it's a manager, a lawyer, like get really quality advisors around you as you start to build in this career. Yeah. The last thing I want to say is there's obviously a ton of nuance around this, but I do think it is in the best interest of creators and the creator economy if YouTube is not held liable for what's uploaded in a super strict sense. Yeah. Because yeah. we have a lot of creative freedom right now to put all types of things out, use totally. clips, um, and a lot of it is fair use and a lot of amazing uh, content gets made because of that. If YouTube had to get rights for every single thing that was uploaded, I mean, it would be impossible for them to even really do that. And the face of content would totally change. Totally. And that's something that is happening with, with a bill called in um, Canada, C11. Yeah. I'm not going to explain that now. We're actually fully breaking it down in our newsletter. Our writer, Hannah, had a long call with YouTube so they could kind of explain everything to her. So we're going to explain it in really clear terms in the Sunday issue of the newsletter, The Published Press. If this is after that, then you can just go to news.thepublishedpress.com and check out the archive. Is it time for a gripe? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you one right now. Oh, you've got a gripe. Yeah. Oh, oh no. Oh, yeah, yeah. You have one that you're excited about. Yeah. Okay, I'll save mine. Go ahead. All right. So we all know it's, it's October. It's Halloween is coming up. People are decorating. People. I just want to just say, if this is a weather-related gripe, I'm going to lose my mind. It's not weather-related. Okay, good. All right. Just let me gripe. All right, sorry, sorry. Go on. All right. It's October. Halloween's coming up. People are starting to decorate. I've got pumpkins in front of my house. It's great. In my neighborhood, there is an eight-foot-tall demon mm. with red eyes that looks straight from Stranger Things. It's incredibly scary. I'm fine with decorating. Yeah. But don't go over the edge. Don't go over the line. I'll, I'm going to show you. Look at this. Please. So I will post this photo in the Reddit. But this is essentially what is in my neighborhood. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. I, I, this is a, I'm that's, showing Samir a photo. That's insane. Of an eight foot yeah. demon that, that's glowing with horns. Yeah, no, he crossed that. that this family, person crossed the line. That family crossed the line. I have very cute decorations, like very family friendly pumpkins and skeletons Same. outside. Like, yeah. it's great. That crosses a line. I also you know, recently went to a carnival in a neighborhood in Los Angeles called Hidden Hills, where a lot of celebrities live. So it's like a very like huge houses. They definitely go over the top with, with everything. And the Halloween yeah. decorations were out there. There was, they were all like movie themed. And one of them was Stranger Things themed and the entire front lawn, which mind you is bigger than three yeah, houses. Football field, yeah, yeah. It's so big was Hawkins they fully remade the set of Stranger Things yeah. as their front lawn. It feels aggressive. With a Demogorgon that was actually the size of the Demogorgon in the show, like mm. towering over their hedges with like the opening. And I was that, like- See, that I'm okay with because that feels like Stranger Things land. Sure. And that feels like an attraction that maybe I would even drive to that neighborhood to go see that if I'm a fan of Stranger Things. You can't get in because it's gated and you have to be on the list. <laughs> Los Angeles, man. <laughs> yeah. This is absurd. 
can't even let people enjoy your holiday decorations. That's my second gripe. I mean, you're not on the list. That's terrible. Um, okay. If you guys didn't hear about this, I did want to note the Sidemen Hotel. The Sidemen are just on fire right now. Yeah, that was the right segue. Yeah, <laughs> the Sidemen Hotel. They're completely on fire right now. I mean, the charity match that they did was out of control. Like the fact that they can fill a stadium is absolutely insane to me and put on an event like like their charity football match. They have a vodka, they have sides, they have a restaurant. And like, as they're moving in to this next chapter, hospitality, I think is something that you and I talked about a lot in maybe 2020 and early 2021, that that was our prediction where the next big industry that creators would disrupt would be hospitality. And there's a couple of reasons for that. So I kind of wanted to talk about hospitality for a second and why we think, like, why will the Sidemen Hotel work or not work in your opinion? I think it works if it's a hotel that anyone could stay at, regardless of whether they know the Sidemen. But it really works if there are exclusive sort of, whether it's like events or programming that you can get only at the Sidemen Hotel, if there are like exclusive videos on the TVs or like exclusive events, if there are things where community members, fans of the Sidemen can go and have a one-of-a-kind experience as if they were going to like Disneyland, right? We even said that like Beast Burger was not about burgers. It was about an opportunity for fans Mm -hmm. of Mr. Beast to come and have a -a one-of-a-kind unique experience. And I think that's where they go from being just an everyday hotel to like something extra special for a group of people. Yeah, I think what's going to be really interesting, I'm so impressed with their ability to upload every Sunday. So they do Sidemen Sundays, which are these challenge videos that they do together as a group. And I think what's going to happen is they'll probably use the hotel as a set. And when they use the hotel as a set, I think it's really interesting that fans will be able to go and be like, oh my God, this is where Simon hid in the hide and seek video. This is where KSI made that joke. This is where this is where this happened. This is where that happened. And I think that level of exclusivity of just like going there as a fan and getting to engage with what you saw um, digitally is really exciting. And it's something we talk about in our next episode, which is going to come out on YouTube about Dream, is about this world of, you know, digital and physical and this concept of IRL, right? In real life. Actually, being suggestive that the digital world is separate, but it's not. The digital and the physical world are are one. And what when you're watching Sidemen Sundays, you're impacted, you're laughing, you're engaged. Something is happening to your emotions when you're watching Sidemen Sunday if you're enjoying it. With that said, the fact that that can then push you to go check out the hotel, go eat at Sides, which probably will be the restaurant of the hotel, mm-hmm. and go live inside the world physically that you enjoy digitally That's why I think it will work. Why it won't work is if they don't get the right hotel operating partner. That's my opinion. I think the reality is they're not taking over the, you know, hospitality hotel industry. No, right. If someone needs a place to stay in a city, they're going to look on Expedia or whatever. They'll find the hotel. They don't really care that much about the brand of the hotel. This really is about going so that you can have an experience connected to them. For sure. I mean, Shelby Church is another creator who has an Airbnb in Palm Springs that she has film the entire process of putting that together. And then people who watch that go stay at her resort. I think they can get exclusive merch. Merch. You know, she right. calls it the Racket Club Resort. Yeah. And you can get exclusive merch. If you show up at the Airbnb, they have mm-hmm. merch there for you. If you take it, you just get charged for it. And you can only get <clears> it there. All right. This comes from our creator support contact form. This comes from Wafta. 
I'm really hoping I'm saying that right. Correct me if I'm wrong. What's the best way to come back on YouTube after a long pause? Two years. So coming back onto YouTube after two years, what's the best way? I mean, I think with a really great video. <laughs> it, doesn't really, it doesn't really matter that much in my opinion. I think, yeah. you know, I've seen people post one, their first video and it's a great video and all of a sudden they gain 30,000 subscribers and 500,000 people watch the video. You know, I think YouTube really, like if it's good and it's remarkable, people will find it. Probably the question he's asking is, let's say he has a channel that has a million subscribers, right? And he took two years off. I think the biggest question is, are you making the same type of content or are you making completely new content? Because if you're making completely new content, I don't think you should assume that the subscribers that you built two years prior are going to naturally get fed your, this content and be excited about it. So it might just be starting a new channel or if you're making the same type of content, I mean, we just watched, granted, he's a bit of a unicorn on YouTube, but Casey Neistat really didn't upload for, for years and came back and really had, did not miss a step when it came to viewership or just uploading, but it was the same style. The thing about what Casey's doing is it's the same style. It's still him, still him in his studio in New York City. I mean, it depends where you are in your career. If yeah. you're not super established and didn't have a large community ready to watch back then, then you're again at the beginning of a huge moment of experimentation. Totally. So this first video is just going to be the beginning of a long journey. Let me ask you a question. Okay. Is Twitch just done? I mean, again, I'll, I said this on the episode about it. I think potentially, <laughs> granted what's been happening to them is like above and beyond. It's really, they seem to be failing on all fronts, but all fronts. It seems like there is an exodus going to YouTube. Streamers are leaving Twitch and going to YouTube. But as we've covered in the press, there are some streamers who are finding a lot of success on Twitch and they're younger. They're probably accustomed to having the 50-50 split mm -hmm. that Twitch is now offering when it comes to advertising splits or subscription splits. And maybe Twitch is just going to be about the young creators now who are going to lay the foundation. But yeah, no, it seems like it's not going well. It's not going great because, you know, we talked about this in a previous episode, but Twitch just essentially went from having a variety of different revenue shares like 70-30 to making it flat 50-50, which means some of their biggest creators are losing 20-30% of their monthly revenue from subscribers, which is incredibly significant. So that's already a big hit. Then they hosted TwitchCon, which for, for everything that I can understand was a disaster. There was someone who broke their back at TwitchCon from a foam pit that Twitch put together. Like, it was just, yeah. it couldn't have gone worse. Apparently, there were a lot of issues, too, with disability access. Mm -hmm. Like, people in wheelchairs being able to get access to things. Yep. And there was another streamer who said he spent time with the president of Twitch, and he was like, I can honestly say there's no future for this platform. <laughs> like, yeah. Just like, the hits kept coming. And I watched some of the panels coming. from TwitchCon, and they were really yeah. sort of slow and kind of cringy. Yeah, it's just, it wasn't great. And I think, you know, these platforms have to have like a head of player relations, right? Head of creator relations, which is most likely they all do have it, but how incredibly important it is to have a pulse on what's going on. But it seems like Twitch is going through something brand new. They are experiencing a transformation. They're about to change completely. And the, the crop of Twitch streamers who have built their careers are likely all going to come to YouTube. All right, here's a really... Pressing question from the Reddit. Let's do it. 
This one comes from, I'm not even going to say the name. It's too ridiculous. How tall? I'll say it. It comes from Repulsive Bag 5009. Oh, man. Subreddit names. I just, I don't understand them. Okay. How tall are Colin and Samir? Where do these fashion icons get their clothes? Asking for me. So after watching the Retin Link Studio Tour, anyone else just get really curious how tall Colin and Samir are? It wasn't just you. The comments were full of yeah, <laughs> trying yeah. well, to that's understand also how because tall we are. are giants. I always got 5'10 or 6 foot energy from both of them. So I'm genuinely curious. <laughs> I'm also not someone who's tall, 5'7. So knowing that there's people who I really look up to who aren't necessarily really tall either makes me feel good and or represented. Wow. That's not the end. Please read the next sentence. Uh, okay. Next, Here, next it keeps Come going. On. Also, yeah. can anyone else appreciate Samir's sense of fashion? It's incredible. Thank you. Do you pay this guy? And Colin's iconic Colorado long sleeve is wild. I actually have a Colorado long sleeve and his blows it out of the water. I need links to your guys' favorite places to get clothes. It's very kind of you. Uh, Man, what? Okay, so let's break this into, into two parts. How tall are we and where do we get our clothes? So number one, how tall are we? I'm 6'2". Call oh, you're what? 5'10"? And we'll get leave it at here. that. Get out of here. Um, in terms of fashion... In the Red Link episode specifically, I'm wearing my family's clothing brand, which is called Raga Man. Uh, they also make women's clothing called Raga. So I get a lot of my clothes. My dad came over last night and just dropped off a bunch of clothes at my house. So I do get a lot of clothes to, from my family. Outside of that, we've been invited to other like clothing stores recently, like Madewell, which are the pants I'm wearing there. So I've just been excited that we're getting more clothing sent to us and getting opportunities to get more clothing because... I've been wearing the same stuff on this channel since the beginning and yeah. now I'm starting to get new clothes, but I have, I wouldn't say that I've been particularly excited about my fashion sense. Uh, but recently we've just been having to do so many things that I just need more clothes. So I think I'm at a point where I have too many clothes right now. Really? I've bought clothes for all these different events we've done. Okay. My girlfriend Madeline is a big thrifter. So I come home and there's new clothes. There's just like, I'm swimming you guys share clothes. clothes though. And I don't know. Right? What? You guys share clothes. You yeah. and Madeline. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. I was talking to, to my wife, Katie, about that because I was like, we don't share any clothes. Yeah. But those but, black pants that I've been wearing. Yeah. Those really flowy Harry Styles pants. Uh -huh. You don't get those in the men's section. Oh, those are women's pants. Yeah. You're wearing women's pants? Yes. Like Michael Scott? I do not <laughs> buy women's clothes. Would not make that mistake again. Yes. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. That's great. What's the big deal? Wow. Interesting. They're really flowy. Okay, it's like, well, it's like uh, Dickies. If you want good Dickies for men, you actually have to go to the women's section. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. The more you know. All right. Um, all right. Last question from Sydney. As a dancer wanting to break onto YouTube, I'd love your input on how to best mold my channel. I'm struggling mostly when it comes to copyright and music. Should I focus on shorter tutorials for specific dance movements and avoid copyright issues or good standing with YouTube or move forward with popular follow along dance style videos with famous songs, but forgo monetization? Uh, this all has to do with your goal, with what you're trying to do on YouTube. You know, are you like a dancer who runs a dance studio and you'd like to build community for people to come to your dance studio? Are you exclusively looking to YouTube for monetization and saying, I'd like to build an advertising business on YouTube? So I think you have to identify what the goal is um, on YouTube and then move forward from there. I will say, look into creator music, which is coming soon, where you'll actually be able to license songs that you can dance to. And Kyle Hanagami, who's a popular dancer and choreographer, uh, was there to help make the announcement. But Kyle Hanagami was like really excited about this announcement specifically because he uses so much popular music in his choreography. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at his channel right now. 
on the popular uploads shelf, his most popular video is Ed Sheeran, Shape of You, Kyle Hanagami Choreography, 236 million views. The next one is Charlie Puth, How Long, Kyle Hanagami Choreography, 36 million views. Next one, Selena Gomez, Beyonce. I mean, he would not be where he is without using popular music, right? He's completely benefited from the scale that popular music has. 100%. So. Yeah. So that's the question. If you want scale, like forego monetization and just start building an audience first and then transition them. Kyle Hanagami's channel is a great place to check it out and and start there. Um, But that would be my advice. All right. Samir, you got a gripe? I do have a gripe. I'll share it. Okay. But it's it starts with just uh, gratitude. So our lawyer- As and, most gripes Yeah, do. yeah. Our lawyer and one of my childhood best friends, um, John Sauer, who might be listening to this, him and uh, his girlfriend actually came and dropped off flowers for us with a very nice note that says, congrats on a million. Now, these are extremely nice flowers, high-end flowers, flowers I've never seen before that I can look at and be like, wow, these are unique flowers. But the challenge when you gift someone flowers is you've gifted me the responsibility of keeping these alive. No. You have. That's where you're wrong. No. They're already gi- dead, Samir. No, they're not. They're not in the ground. Like, it's not like you plant them. They've sure. been cut. But now I have to deal with the incredible responsibility of figuring out how long are these going to stay alive? How do I water them? What are the instructions? Mm. I'm not going to accept this gripe. Why? I think you need to reshape how you look at it. They're beautiful. I'm looking at them right now. Just enjoy them while they're here. They're amazing. Even if you did nothing, you're going to get three to four days of beauty. But then they're going to start dying. And And that's just the reality of it. But when do we throw them out? You don't want to throw them out because they're such a nice gift. Throw them out when they're dead. This is also like a thank you card. Or a card that you get in the mail. You get it and you read it and you're like, I can't rip this up and throw it out now, so I got to keep it. And then I just have a stack of thank you cards. This is a you problem. I just throw it away. You just throw it away? I already threw the card away. <gasps> wow. Okay. What are we going to do there? All right? right. Don't send Colin anything. Wait, have a memory box? Crazy. Okay. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Creator Support. Uh, if you do have questions... Join our subreddit, r slash Colin and Samir. Let us know and keep a lookout for a new vlog on Samir and Colin. Coming, I don't know when, but it will be there. And when it's there, you'll see it. I think this one's going to be a one out of 10. I don't want to get caught up in the data. Crack 10,000 views. I don't want to get caught up. All right. See you guys. (laughs) 